Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today we finish our reading of this 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. I've spoken of it now the past two weeks. It's this great treasure trove of parables. I'd recommend again for your summer spiritual reading, sit down with chapter 13 of Matthew and read through these stories. They are so richly illuminating, and they probably represent, as I mentioned last week, the way that Jesus typically taught when he made his way through the towns of Galilee. I want to reflect on the last line that Jesus speaks in this chapter 13. After laying out the parables, asking the people, do you understand what I've said? And they say, yes, we do. He says this, Every scribe who has been instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings from his storeroom both the new and the old. It's a wonderful line, one that I've always found very instructive. Every scribe, he's thinking here of the scribes of the temple, those who were trained in the law, who could write out and explain the law. So he's thinking of us now. Every scribe who's been instructed in the kingdom of heaven, all of us now who've heard the word, the seed has been planted deep in our hearts. We're instructed in this new way of being, which is the kingdom of heaven. We are like the head of a household who brings from his storeroom both the new and the old. Why can we do this? Because we are prejudiced neither in favor of the new nor of the old. Rather, our prejudice is in favor of God's kingdom. And therefore, we can use whatever works for the service of that kingdom. Christians, it's a great spiritual principle. When you take Christ and his kingdom as basic, that's what you want. That's what you're obsessed with. That's the center of your life. Then you have the freedom to range around and use whatever works. Use whatever you need to foster that kingdom. We can fall into all kinds of secular prejudices. I'm in favor of my country, not yours. I'm in favor of my ethnic group, not yours. I'm in favor of my tradition, not yours. Or here, I'm in favor of the new, not the old. Or I'm in favor of the old, not the new. Forget all that. If you have placed Jesus Christ in the center of your life, you can bring from your storeroom the American and the non-American, your ethnic group, other ethnic groups, this nation, that nation, the old, the new. You can bring whatever works. This really is a word of freedom. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, let's reflect, though, on the one that Jesus gives us here, the old and the new. Do people fall into these prejudices? All the time. There's a liberal prejudice, if you will, a prejudice in favor of the new. A prejudice against the old. I know I've spoken to you before about Rene Descartes. 
one of the leading philosophers of modernity. Descartes, in many ways, bequeathed to us the whole modern point of view, the modern attitude. Descartes had a fierce prejudice against the old. He was suspicious of the tradition. He recommended that we knock it down, we wipe the slate clean and start fresh. Well, in that move, Descartes influenced much of the modern attitude in philosophy, in science, technology. We like the new. We're suspicious of the old. Has the church been marked by this? Yeah. Look at the years after Vatican II. The years when I was coming of age in the church, late 60s and the 70s. Was there a prejudice against the old? Absolutely, it seems to me. A prejudice in favor of the new. Whatever was new was good. Whatever was old was before the council. The church should get rid of it. This led to a lot of literal and figurative damage to the church. Think of many of our church buildings that were literally damaged by this opposition to what was old. But think in terms of our theology, our liturgy, our spirituality, our practice. A lot of it was damaged by a one-sided embrace of novelty. Well, is there the opposite danger? Is there a conservative prejudice against the new? Yeah, sure. And watch that now up and down church history. Watch it even today. Does that prejudice do damage? Sure. Because sometimes the new is called for. Sometimes the new is where God is acting. And if I'm just prejudiced against it in favor of what's old, then I'm not serving the kingdom of God. Before he left for the conclave that would elect him Pope, Angelo Giuseppe Roncalli, he was the Cardinal Archbishop of Venice, he said, we, and by we here he meant the leadership of the church, we are not here to tend a museum, but rather to cultivate a flourishing garden of life. It's a great quote, isn't it? You'll often see it now on posters and icons of Blessed John the Twenty-Third, the Pope that Roncalli became. We're not here to tend a museum. The church is not a museum filled with static and precious objets d'art. Do you know what I mean? Precious art objects under glass with a single light shining on them, never to be touched. The doctrines and practices, liturgical acts of the church are not like that. It is the conservative prejudice that sees the church primarily as a museum and the leadership of the church as the curators of it who make sure that none, nothing in that museum is ever touched or changed or disturbed. No, no, says Ryan Colley, that's not the church's task, not the church's essence. The church, rather, is a flourishing garden, something alive. And the leadership of the church, they're the cultivators of this garden. Now, the obvious reading of his statement is to hold off that fussy conservatism. Quite right. It's to hold that off. But there's more to it than that. Anyone listening to me who's a gardener knows how much hard work, how much concentration, how much technical knowledge is required of a successful gardener. You want to cultivate a flourishing garden of life? You better know an awful lot about the plants you're dealing with. 
You want to cultivate a flourishing garden of life? You better know an awful lot about the structure of those blooms and flowers. You ought to know, you have to know, all those things that can affect them negatively and positively. You better know all about the insecticides that you should use, the things to treat the soil, etc., etc. My point is, you must have a very strong, a very clear, a very detailed knowledge of the structure of that garden and those plants. Are you a conservative? Yes! If you're the cultivator of a flourishing garden of life, you better be a conservative because you are trying to conserve and preserve those plants in their integrity. And you better back that up with a lot of technical knowledge. My point is, the cultivation of a flourishing garden means you are very sensitive to the new and you are very sensitive to the old. You are very aware of the dynamic quality of this garden. You are very aware of those things that give it stability. And that, it seems to me, is someone who is learned in the kingdom of heaven. Eager, willing, able to bring forth both the old and the new. Here's a line from John Henry Newman. He says, To live is to change. To be perfect is to have changed often. Living things change. The living things Newman's talking about are the doctrines and practices of the church. Newman, too, believed in his bones that doctrines were not precious objets d'art in a museum. No, he compared them often to plants, just as John Twenty-Third did. To live is to change. A plant's alive if it's developing, it's unfolding, it's changing, sending its roots deeper into the ground, sending off new shoots and leaves. Someone who's cultivating that plant had better be sensitive to, open to these changes and developments. And John Henry Newman knew that a plant lives only in the measure that it remains true to its own essential structure. If you change the essential structure of a plant, you kill it off. You're not attentive to what makes that particular plant grow, it'll die. He knew as well that the scribe learned in the kingdom of heaven is someone able to bring forth both the old and the new. He knew that the life of the church depends upon just this subtle balance. Can I give you a final example? One inspired by both John Twenty-Third and John Henry Newman. A game. A game. Think of a game of basketball. No team ever brought the court up, ever brought the ball up the court in the same way. Every time a team brings the ball up the court, it's done differently. Because every offense is different. Every player is different. Every defense is uniquely configured. A lot of the fun of watching a basketball game is precisely this open-endedness, this variability, this changeability. No one ever shoots the ball in precisely the same way, from precisely the same position. So in the life of the church, in the great game of the life of the church, it's a bit like this flow, open-ended, unpredictable. Every saint, every theologian does it somewhat differently. And that's part of the fun 
part of the joy of studying the tradition of the church is just this open-ended variability. And basketball, like all games, is tightly ordered, tightly structured, filled with rules and regulations, lines, restrictions, governed by referees. Good. And anybody who plays the game seriously loves the rules. Because the rules give the game structure and integrity. You get rid of the rules, that game devolves into chaos in about five minutes. Just as you remove your rules from your, your flourishing garden, it'll devolve into a patch of weeds in about a week. So in the life of the church, in the great game of the church, open-ended, alive, unpredictable, flowing, yes, and according to very strict and clear and carefully delineated rules. The scribe, learned in the kingdom of heaven, he's not prejudiced in favor of the new. He's not prejudiced in favor of the old. No, no. He wants that kingdom to flourish. And he realizes, therefore, there must be a subtle blend of the old and the new. There must be a subtle blend of the dynamic and the static. And so that scribe, learned in the kingdom of heaven, is able to bring both those elements in to the dynamic play of the church. When you find yourself sometimes caught in the debates between liberals and conservatives, think about this parable. Can we find ourselves caught in very natural, ordinary prejudices? that really have little to do with the life of the church? And can we see that if we're really focused on this kingdom of heaven, we have the freedom to bring from the storehouse both the old and the new? And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries serving the Catholic community since 1837.